to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Man, loving worshiping with y'all this morning. Um, hey, so I want to give honor where honor is due. And so uh, we, have, we have two legends with us this morning, um, <laughs> somewhere in the back. So two guys, some of you may know them, some of you may not, but uh, Jeff Brower served on our staff here in the financial office for, yeah, okay, okay, man, his reputation precedes him. <laughs> also, Jeff is a vacation Bible school legend, okay? Like some of you are too old to, uh, or maybe too young, yeah, is the right term, to remember this, <laughs> but or too old, it could go either way. Um, but he was a vacation Bible school legend, Carl and Dean, or Carl and Dean, yo. Um, and then Garrett Gregory, also a uh, legend around here. Served in the high school ministry, or the student ministry for like nine years, and uh, their wives and are here this morning also, and the Broward's kids are here, but the Gregory's kids are back in Nashville. But super glad you guys are here to worship with us. Garrett said he was going to boo me from the back, so I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. No, uh, anyways, man, so glad to, to study God's Word with you this morning. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. And we'd love for you to take that home. That can be your Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's word, that it is true, that it's good, and that's trustworthy. Amen? So yeah, be sure to take that home. Start reading if you don't have one. So I, I serve uh, with the Journey Ministry, which is college students and young adults, but also transitioning to work with the young marrieds. And in that role, uh, I have the really cool opportunity to do a lot of weddings and premarital counseling. My wife helps, Lauren helps me with that. And it's fun to do the premarital counseling because, well, it's not always fun. Sometimes you have like really not fun conversations, right? <laughs> if you remember those. But sometimes you have the just the interesting conversations. I won't get too awkward, just trust me. But it always makes me laugh when we get to, there's always a brief time where we talk about sex a little bit. And we have couples fill out an assessment. It's called uh, Save Your Marriage Before It Starts, Symbis. And uh, you can take that even as a married couple. It's really cool. But in the assessment, it has a spot where they, couples uh, can rank their sexual desire, one being none, 10 being a lot. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? After all these couples, everyone always puts it as a 10. <laughs> Which is always kind of humorous, right? <laughs> Because they're excited, they're pumped. You guys are like, I can't believe you just said that in church. Um, no, it always, it always makes me laugh because they're just pumped. Or like, and it's also funny too because when I, when I get to that point that doesn't matter how long they've been dating, the couple uh, refuses to look at each other, which is always exciting. Um, but I love, even in the wedding, uh, when, I'm, when they're standing right in front of them and, and they're saying their vows and we get towards the end, and I love just the excitement on their faces when, when they're saying their vows, and especially when it comes to the very end and I say, uh, you know, by the power invested in me, all that stuff, and I now pronounce you husband and wife. 
I love even, there was a, I've seen a couple couples, a few couples, uh, that as I get to that point, they're kind of bouncing on their toes because they realize I'm fixing to say that they're husband and wife. And they're just, their excitement is through the roof. I've thought about when I get to that point, just like slowing down to just to mess with them, right? Like, because they're like, just please, would you say it? They're so ready to be husband and wife. And I see these couples, they go on their honeymoons and they come back and I mean, they're just thrilled about being a married couple. They're so excited. But something I've noticed, <laughs> couples that are married for a while, they don't always have that same excitement. <laughs> don't nudge your spouse. <laughs> I don't have to ask you if you agree. I, I know you agree. The, my question is, what happens? There's this excitement. There's this joy in marriage and this thrill. We're going to be a married couple. And then over time, like, things become a struggle. Now, let's just be real here. Like, marriage can be tough. Don't say amen. But <laughs> marriage can be tough sometimes. What went wrong? Well, a lot of things. One thing that went wrong, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3, that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when humanity fell and rebelled against God, not only was our relationship with God broken and marred and tainted and dead, but also our relationships with each other became broken and marred and tainted. And so even from the very beginning, uh, married couples had some issues, and, and particularly like guys seem to be the problem. <laughs> uh, I remember, I can't remember chap, which chapter of Genesis, but Abraham, who's like a, not like, he is, he's a pillar of the faith. Him and his wife, Sarah, were going to Egypt, and as they're getting closer to, uh, to Egypt, he's like, hey, hey, Sarah, uh, look, if they know that you're my, my wife, they may, they may take you and kill me. So they get to Egypt, and he's like, oh, yeah, Pharaoh, this is, a, this is my sister. <laughs> not cool, bro, right? Like, not romantic at all. Even, even Pharaoh, it says that when he found out what was going on, even Pharaoh was like, Abraham, that's messed up, bro. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, guys, we tend to do some dumb things and, and bring tension into the marriage relationship. That's ab an absolute fact. But at the same time, as tough as marriage can be, I think we've all seen really, really healthy marriages, not perfect but healthier where you look at it and you go, there's something different about that marriage. There's something special there. The, the way they love each other, the way they care for each other, the way they, they portray the love of Christ, there's something different. And I love it when you ask couples like that, because I'm always curious, like, hey, man, what, what would you say has helped make your marriage what it is? Or even like a similar question when you see people that have awesome kids, you want to ask, man, what did y'all do to make them so amazing? And most couples, when you ask them a question like that, they're like, well, you know, Man, God's just good. And I want to be like, I know he is, but don't be humble. Tell me what you did, right? Like, what is the secret? How are you doing that? Seems like there's some ingredients that, that make a marriage better and, and healthy. And I'm using that word healthy, intentional. Again, not perfect, not flawless, but healthy. We believe that, again, like I said a minute ago, this is God's word. And it's following it is not always easy, or maybe it doesn't always give us what we want or what we think we need in our life, but it's good for us. Amen? <laughs> this, is the, this has the ingredients for life, not to have your best life now, but to have a relationship with God and to do life the way he created it to be. But what are those ingredients? You know, so, so many of us look at marriage and, and we're like, man, I don't know about that. Or even our culture certainly looks at marriage and thinks it's kind of a joke. I remember when uh, two days before I was fixing to get married to my wonderful wife, Lauren, uh, all the guys went to 
think it was uh, Cantina Laredo, back and forth. It doesn't matter. Anyways, went to the restaurant, and we're sitting around the table, and my best man, Robbie, asked the waitress, hey, my, my boy Brandon here is getting married in two days. Do you have any advice for him? And the waitress said, don't do it. <laughs> Which is like, how? Not cool, right? Um, but that's kind of the culture's mindset of marriage, of it's messed up, it's flawed. And here's what I would say, and I think a lot of you would agree with this, that marriage is not the problem. It's a gift from God. The problem is we don't have the right ingredients. It's kind of like if, you know, we love them, but if someone moved here from uh, California and we're like, man, I just don't like barbecue. Barbecue's gross. We would go, oh, no, 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 no. I beg to differ. You just need to have some heavy maize, amen? <laughs> or you need to go to the shack. Like, you need to get some good West Texas barbecue with the, with the right ingredients. And not just the right ingredients, but it needs to be, like, cooked the right way. <laughs> There's some habits and um, patterns and things you can do to make it good. Or if someone moved from New York City and said, I don't like tea, we would say, I'm sorry, you need to have some sweet tea, put some sugar in it, and your mind will change, right? You need the right ingredients. What are the ingredients for a healthy marriage. The cool thing is that God cares about practical things like marriage, (laughs) and he gives us some help, some really good help. Now, before we dive into the text, one more thing. I think it'd be easy for so many of us to kind of tune this out. Maybe maybe you're not married, or you've been married, um, or you think your marriage is perfect, or you think it's hopeless. I think this is relevant. This text is relevant for every single one of us. If you're not married, as as a young person, there's a good chance, a really good probability that one day you will be. I know it may seem hopeless, like no one even notices you, but I promise, like, there's hope for you, okay? So why not, man, study God's word and see what marriage is supposed to be, and even, like, see what some of the traits are supposed to be in in the spouse. And, man, if if you're you're older and not married, or maybe uh, divorced or widowed, whatever it may be, why not learn from God's word so you could even encourage Younger married couples. And if you're here this morning and you think your marriage is hopeless, I would tell you that because of Jesus, nothing in your life is ever hopeless. Amen? So I don't care how broken your marriage is, man, <laughs> there's hope for you because of Jesus. And we start adding the right ingredients of how he designed marriage to be, man, things can turn around. Maybe not quickly, but they can turn around. And if you're here this morning, I I doubt there's people like this, but if you're here this morning, you're like, you know, I think my marriage is fine. Like, we're just coasting. Things are good. I would encourage you, just like a diamond, as beautiful it may be, a diamond needs to be occasionally, like, cleaned and maintained to shine like it should. And so this morning, maybe this is a way to, to lean in and figure out what are some ways you can shine the diamond of your marriage or clean the diamond of your marriage that shines like it should. Let's pray. Let's dive into the text. God, we're grateful for just your word that you speak to us, that you care about our lives, and Lord, that you've given us a way to live. And so I pray that as we study your word this morning, God, that you would be just real to us, that we would uh, be awake and focused and just lean into what you have for us. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's your name we pray. Amen. So if y'all would, join with me in Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I love what one pastor said when looking at this text. 
I feel like in reading, just in reading that, it's like I just brought a bomb up here on stage and it's about to go off and you're going to try to watch me dismantle it before it explodes, right? Like, ah! <laughs> Why is that? Why when we read that do so many of us go, oh gosh? <laughs> I think one is a culturally sensitive topic, but more than that, let's face it, for too long, too many generations, women have been mistreated and abused and oppressed and neglected. It's, the, it's time the church turns that around. <laughs> so I think if you're kind of like um, balking at that, like I think there's some reasons because we've gotten this wrong a lot. Like there's men have been bad leaders a lot. <laughs> so that said, the text still tells us, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is really important. The word submit there. It's, it's, it's in the middle voice in Greek. What this means is this is not something that you necessarily like do to someone else or that you like someone does to you. The middle means that it's an action you choose to do for yourself, like on yourself. Does that make sense? So ladies, the idea is not that your husband is going to make you submit. We're going to talk about that more in a second. If that happens, that's not good. <laughs> it's that you, you willingly choose to submit. I love the way Pastor Ben Stewart says, this is an inclination to receive and affirm a husband's leadership. That's what the word submit means. An inclination to receive and affirm a husband's leadership. So let's say what this does not mean. This does not mean that you don't have a voice, that you can't share your opinion, that you can't ever take initiative. Sometimes, actually a lot of times, men, we need a little nudge in the right direction, don't we? <laughs> Like we need a little kick or like, hey, uh, I was riding with my buddy yesterday. And like, sometimes we need, we were, we're, it was, oh, it was Garrett. We were driving in the car and trying to make a decision. So we just called our wives because we needed some help, right? Doesn't mean you can't ever have initiative or have a voice. Think about the Proverbs 31 woman. Holy cow. She's like selling products. She's buying land. I mean, this was, this was a businesswoman. So this does not mean that you just, you just have to sit and you can't ever share your opinion or can't ever share your voice. It certainly does not mean that you are your husband's maid. <laughs> this is not about being lesser than. We know from, from the Gospels that, man, we're created equal in God's sight. And especially even through Ephesians, that he doesn't look at it as like one's higher than the other. No, ontologically, we're, we're all the same in God's eyes. But he is a God of order, and a God of structure. And he says, in the marriage, so he's not talking to boyfriends, girlfriends. He's not talking just to a group that... Uh, all the women need to submit to any kind of man. No, no, no. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. What, it's not that like, <laughs> it is not that I'm like, Lord, you know, you need to submit to me because I'm like God in your life. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's funny, right? Yeah. She would slap me probably. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, she would slap me. <laughs> no, ask the Lord. It's that Wives, as you have an inclination to receive and affirm your husband's leadership, like because the Lord has placed him as a, as a leader in your life and he has responsibility to lead you and encourage you, that you're acknowledging that, that, that role, that responsibility comes from the Lord. And then verse 23 explains that a little more. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself 
its Savior. That verse always makes me think, uh, I don't know if y'all saw, seen the old movie, uh, I think it's called My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and the husband's talking about how the husband is the head of the family, and the wife says, yeah, but the wife is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> she didn't say it like that, but anyway, they were Greek. Anyways, um, <laughs> the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, that as the head of the church, Christ is the head of the church, gives us some really good insight as to what's going on here. So first of all, again, the husband says is the head of the wife, that he has a spiritual responsibility. But we have to look at the metaphor that Paul uses to understand what this looks like. Look back just for a second in chapter 4, verse 15. Same book, Ephesians, chapter 4. Look at verse 15. He's talking about, he's been talking about unity in the body of Christ. And he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and hold together excuse me, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, Christ makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what we see here. Headship in the marriage is not about the husband being this like, I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to domineer over you and be a tyrant. No, that's called being uh, a fool and being a, a jerk, <laughs> being a dictator. Headship, according to the Bible and what Christ does for the body, it says he helps the body grow. He nourishes and provides to help the body flourish. See, headship is not about being domineering. Headship is about providing. <laughs> not just like physical things like being the breadwinner, but providing meant spiritual nourishment and emotional nourishment. As Christ does that for the church, so the husband should do that for the wife. Although he says, and is himself its savior. So again, that's the end of verse 20, uh, 23. So again, this is not about, uh, the idea of headship is less about, I won't take this too far, but you could say it's less about lordship and more about saviorhood because he, he says it's Christ is our savior. So while Christ is our Lord and our boss, for this, for, for this instance, Paul says savior. So the husband is to be a provider, a rescuer to meet the needs of his wife. I love what John Stott says about this, or said about this. He says, if headship means power in any sense, it is power to care, not to crush. Power to serve, not to dominate. Power to facilitate self-fulfillment, not to frustrate or destroy it. That's a good word. <laughs> I mean, this is not about being domineering and telling your wife to submit. <laughs> that's a really dumb thing to do, and that's not biblical. Headship is about saying, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be a leader in your life. And again, the wife is called to receive and affirm that leadership when the husband does it. Verse 24 as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So knowing the context of, of headship and what he's talking about here, this, we shouldn't take this literally as in like, literally everything your husband tells you to do, no matter what it is, you should do it. No. That's like, like if I go to Lauren, I'm like, you know, Lauren, I've been thinking, I think we should join the drug cartel. <laughs> she should tell me no, right? She should not submit to that. Amen. It's kind of a really obvious, stupid example. But there's some things you shouldn't submit to. 
And I think I want to like, just carve out a little space here. Ladies, this passage in no way encourages or says that a husband should in any way, shape, or form have a domineering, abusive spirit or, or even like physically over you. There is no place for that in Scripture. And let's think about this for a second. If you're like men, if you want to get real here, think about if you have a daughter. So I have a, a boy and a girl, and uh, man, I get accused of playing favorites. Let's just be real dads. There's something like when you see your little girl, like there's just protective nature in you. Amen? Like I think about one of the first times I was holding Carolina Tate at the house. She was just like super tiny, probably like five pounds at the time, holding her in my arms and just staring into her eyes. And I thought, this is why. I own a shotgun. <laughs> I had somebody recently tell me, like, man, I don't know if somebody came into my house, like, if I could, like, I don't know if I could actually kill somebody. And I was like, bro, if someone was trying to harm my wife or my kids, I, I would not have any trouble. Like, I'm not trying to scare you, it'd be weird. But, like, my point is, <laughs> I, I love my wife and children. And there, but there's something particular about a father's love for his daughter that says, you even look at her the wrong way, and we will go. I may be tiny, but I'm feisty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's like, as dumb as I'm being, men, you should be fearful if you mentally, spiritually, emotionally abuse your wife, because there's a heavenly father that cares about his daughter, and he doesn't play. <laughs> you will be held accountable for that. There's no space for that in Christ. So wives, this is not saying you're just a doormat. No, as your husband learns to lead and serve you like Christ, you have an inclination to receive and affirm that leadership. I have a really, it's gonna seem really random, but I want you to watch this quick video. Uh, it's gonna help me make a point. This is from our fall retreat with the college students and young adults. So what you could see there, you guys can stop it. I don't know if you saw at the end, yeah, the double-decker right there is what they called it. Some of our guys decided they were like, you know what? Which, by the way, how fun was that? <laughs> it really was fun. I got lifted off my feet a couple times, actually, when I got hit. But um, anyways, some of the guys decided they were going to be smart, and they said, hey, we can outsmart the way these little, they call them Zorbs, I don't know what they are, the little bubbles. We can outsmart the way they're designed, and we're going to make a double-decker, and we're going to destroy people. Like, we can, we can outsmart this. And you can see, like, they, Russ took, like, three steps, and they just fell over and never hit anybody, right? Because those weren't designed to function that way, as good as an idea as it seemed like. 
There's some things in life that are created a certain way, and when we fight against the way it's designed, the way that God designed it, it just makes things more difficult and worse, even though it may seem like a good idea for a second. When we embrace the way God designed things, like, does it mean life is perfect or easy? But it's better. <laughs> it's the same way with marriage, ladies. As much as it may seem weird and maybe even counterintuitive like to have an inclination, a posture of the heart that says, hey, I'm going to receive and affirm and follow my husband's leadership, when you embrace that, your marriage will be healthier. Amen? Don't say amen, guys. <laughs> when you embrace that, it's for your good. God designed marriage to be that way for the husband to, to, to nourish and provide and to be a helper. And when you encourage your husband in that, your marriage is better. So this means when your husband does occasionally, me included, every now and then we get it right and we, we lead well, man, encourage us in that. <laughs> when maybe we, we take a step to, to pray for the family or to lead in a devotional, even if it goes bad, <laughs> encourage us. Like maybe even say, say thank you to your husband. We've heard the phrase, like, anything doing, worth doing is worth doing well. I think that's not true. Anything worth doing is worth doing even poorly. So when your husband is, is trying to lead, maybe he's not doing a great job at it yet. He's trying to encourage your dreams and the dreams of your children. Man, man affirm him in that. Ladies, I want to encourage you to pray for your husbands that we would be godly leaders because, men, we need all the help we can get. Amen? <laughs> Amen, men? <laughs> we need help. And if you're like, I don't know. I think Paul thought we did too. Look at this. Look at the three verses that are for the women, that little tiny paragraph, and look at the paragraph for the men below it. <laughs> Paul's like, y'all need some help, bros. <laughs> so he has a lot more instruction. So the wives, he says, hey, when a healthy marriage, the ingredient you need to bring is to have an inclination to receive and affirm your husband's leadership. Listen to what he says to the men. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Gentlemen, this is, this is a high calling, isn't it? To love your wife as Christ loves the church. John Mayer got it right. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a... Maybe you don't listen to John Mayer. Love is a verb. Christ didn't just sit in heaven and say... Man, I love those people. Man, I hope they can figure it out. They're going to they're gonna be okay. No, Christ saw our need and left the throne of heaven to come and to serve us to the point of death on a cross. 
You need forgiveness? Christ said, hey, I'm going to provide that for you. You need hope? I'm going to provide that for you. You need grace, excuse me, grace and mercy? Jesus said, I'm going to come and offer myself on the cross to provide that for you. It's called servant leadership, which newsflash, that's the only kind of leadership there is, being a servant leader. Paul says, men, that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church, his bride, and gave himself up for her. That means we, we sacrifice our needs, our wants, our desires, men, to serve our wife. What happens? Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So let's, this does not mean, men, that your job as, or your role as a spiritual leader is to say, all right, I'm going to, looks like I need to point out all the wrinkles and blemishes in my wife's life. Let me take care of that. Like, bad idea, right? It's not what he's talking about. Then he says, just as Christ came and gave himself to the point of death on a cross to serve his bride so that we, the bride, the church, could be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, maybe to, to sum that up, so that we could be all we're meant to be under God, so that we could be to the glory of God in the same way, husbands are to love their wives, to serve their wives, to have a selfless love for their wife, a sacrificial love for their wife, so that their wives can mature and flourish and be all that God intended them, intends them to be. Man, that's a high calling. <laughs> that is not easy. When he says in verse 28, he talks about loving your wife uh, so when you do that, you're loving yourself, really. <laughs> he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Saying, when you, when you love and serve your wife because you are one flesh, when you do that, like, there's some selfish reasons even here, when you do that, you're, you're actually like, you're helping yourself. <laughs> happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> When you serve her, when you love her, when you, man, position the world in such a way, leverage what you have so that she can grow and flourish, man, it's good for you too because you are one flesh. When I think about what it means to, to have a selfless love like Christ, it makes me think, you can turn if you want, I'll just be quick, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul, he's eventually going to say that Christ is the greatest demonstration of this, but he's talking about humility in, among believers. In chapter 2, verse 3, Philippians, excuse me, of Philippians, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Man, what a great like, model for men to say, I want to have that mindset when I serve and love my wife. That's not about me. I want to lay down my life so she can thrive, she can grow. Men, it's pretty difficult, isn't it? You with me? Like, I, I'm a selfish person. <laughs> I, really, I really am. This is difficult. I think I, I, we get the concept of what we're supposed to do there, but I too often find myself not wanting to do that. 
Guys, you ever, uh, maybe ladies too, but you ever use a cedar wood plank on the grill? Put like, I typically do like put salmon on it. You, you're supposed to soak it in water and then you put it on the grill, put the salmon. And if you do it right, so if you soak the plank for, less, it says actually the instructions are right here. Soak plank up to one hour. So if you soak it in the water for one hour, then you put it on the grill. What does the water, what does the soaking allow the wood not to do? Yeah, it doesn't catch fire, right? Because you're putting it over flames or really, really hot coals. So the soaking prevents it from catching on fire and burning up when you put it on the grill. Like, I can have good intentions of, of using this piece of wood, but if I don't soak it first, it's actually just going to ruin the food, right? <laughs> it's going to burn it all, make it a really, really nice, dark, crispy bottom of the salmon. <laughs> but if I do it right, if I soak it, before I try to use it for what it's supposed to be used for, if I soak it, then put it on the grill, put the meat on, the fish on there, what happens is, bless you, (laughs) the wood gives an amazing aroma, even as you're grilling, but it gives an an amazing aroma to the food and even an amazing taste. If you, by the way, if you've never, just like a little helpful hint here. If you've never tried this, you should try it. <laughs> if I don't like salmon, you should try it like this. It gives it a totally different flavor. It, it changes everything. Guys, in the same way, you <laughs> and me are not going to have the ability to love and lead our wives like Christ loves and leads the church if we don't first soak ourselves in him. <laughs> That sounds weird. What I mean, if you don't first spend time with Jesus, right? I can't love and lead like Jesus if I don't know him. If I'm not daily walking with him and getting his heart, getting his vision for my life and for the life of my family, if I'm not spending time with him to learn the character of Jesus, I can't pass that on to my family. So what's going to happen if I don't do that? I'm going to try to lead and it's going to catch fire, (laughs) It's not going to be good because I didn't first soak myself in the Lord. Man, uh, I'm not ready to lead. It's going to go really bad. What I meant to do and intended for good of like, oh, I'm going to try to lead my family, it's going to burn up in flames. (laughs) But if I learn to daily build the habits of spending time with Jesus, and we could, I'll be in the back after the service. I'd love to talk with you about what that could look like, spending time in the Word and through prayer, communing with God. If I learn to soak myself in him, then even when the fire is hot, (laughs) when I try to lead as God has called me to, instead of catching things on fire and burning things, the aroma of Christ begins to permeate my family. His nature, his character, his love begins to bring this beautiful, amazing, wonderful flavor to my marriage, to my, even to my relationship with my kids. But gentlemen, we got to spend time with him. <laughs> Garrett pointed out this weekend to our, our journey group that just a simple reminder, like, do we actually believe John 15, 5, that I can't do anything apart from Christ? Guys, we can't lead our wives like Christ leads and loves the church if we don't abide in Christ. So gentlemen, let's do that. Let's dig into the word. Let's spend time in prayer. Get up early to do that. And when you begin to do that and begin to 
Soak up Jesus. Then let's learn to, when we come home, to put our phone down and not worry about what's happening on ESPN, on the TV, and to actually look our wives in the eyes and listen to them. Would that be good, ladies? <laughs> to, to talk with them. Think about how dumb we are, men. Like we, I'm not going to be weird again, but like we, we, we get in bed at night. Our beautiful wife is laying beside us, and we're like scrolling through Instagram. Oh, Scott Van Pelt said that, that he thinks the Astros are going to come back and win. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what a waste of time. Let's put distractions away and begin to intentionally lead and love and serve our wives. You know what's going to happen when we do that? We bring the right ingredients to the marriage. You know what I love about this passage? As we begin to wrap up, what I love about it, tell me if you agree. I'm a, this is kind of a question for the ladies. Where are the ladies at? <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to make y'all feel funny. Okay. <laughs> ladies, if a man, if excuse me, specifically, if your husband is serving you and loving you and sacrificing for you like Jesus has done for the church, will it be easy to have an inclination to receive and affirm that leadership? Come on, help. Will it? Yes, absolutely. This is, this is, like, this is like tennis. You need both people to play, right? I can go to the court, like, which I'm terrible at tennis, but when my wife... I mean, this is love. She used to, she's laughing. She used to, her mom used to tell her that she looked like a tennis player. So one time we went to play tennis. Neither one of us can play. She'd never played. We got out there and started playing. And she was like, <laughs> she was like so upset. She didn't cry, but she was really upset. She was like, but my mom said I looked like a tennis player. I'm like, that doesn't really help you. <laughs> yeah, you can't really play tennis by yourself. You need both people to participate. Y'all, for this to work, we need both people to participate. And I would argue wholeheartedly it starts with the man. Leading and loving and serving his wife. And the ladies, we need you to get the tennis racket and hit the ball back by receiving and affirming our leadership. But you know what else is really cool about this passage? Do you see how the gospel is woven all through this passage? Do you see it? Talk to me. Do you see it? So I've been rowdy rowdy college kids all week. I need some some noise here. Yes, the gospel is all through this passage. What is the gospel? I mean, the fact that we rebelled against God, that we are evil, deserve death and hell and separation from him. But in spite of that, Jesus came to redeem us by living the perfect life that we should have lived but don't. And by dying on the cross, paying the price for our sin, and then rising from the dead to offer forgiveness and hope and love and grace and mercy. Amen? That's the gospel. And the He's referencing the gospel all through this. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, the gospel is the purpose of marriage. Verse 32, when he talks about man and wife being one, he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Guys, we wrap this up. The purpose of your Christian marriage, if you have a Christian marriage, is to be a picture of, of the gospel, that when people look at your marriage, they get a glimpse of what the love of Jesus is for his bride, the church, and how the church, man, follows and, and, and man, celebrates Jesus. They're supposed to get a picture of that. That's the purpose of your marriage. And you can't do that if you're not, again, playing this tennis game of receiving and affirming leadership and loving like Christ. 
Not only is it the purpose of marriage, the gospel is the picture of marriage. I already said this, but again, when you're like, man, when men are like, how do I love my wife? How should I serve her? You just look to Jesus, which by the way, when I say just, like, it's like, I wish Paul would have used somebody else here, right? Like Paul would have been like, you should be like Matthew or Timothy. He was like, no, I'm just going to go all the way. You should be like Jesus, right? He is the picture of how to love your wife. The gospel is what you look at. What's the model for my marriage? Look to the gospel. And lastly, it's the purpose, the picture, and it's the power. I know it doesn't necessarily like say that in this text, but because Paul keeps pointing back to the gospel throughout this whole passage, I really think it's a safe assumption to say that, hey, the power for a transformed marriage, the power for learning to cultivate a healthy marriage is the gospel. Like, what in the world does that mean? Here's what I mean. I'm, I'm really leaning into the men here. There could be a time, you know, 40, 50 years into your marriage that just maybe your bride doesn't have quite the, the glamour and beauty that she did on the day of your wedding, right? Like, probably not going to happen, but it's possible 50 years into it, right? And in that moment, you could, be, you could be tempted to say, man, she's just not like pretty as she used to be. I just don't know. And then when you remember the gospel and that God has loved you even when you, there was nothing lovable about you, nothing beautiful about you, actually like completely filthy rags before him, but he still loved you to the point of death on a cross. And that power of remembering, remembering that can transform your heart to continue to be faithful. There may be times, men, that it could cross your mind to, to not be faithful. And then you remember the love of Christ, that Christ never leaves you, never forsakes you, that he has been perfectly faithful to you. And you say, hey, he loves me that way. I want to love my wife that way. Amen? When you look to Jesus as the example of what it means to love faithfully, I mean, that gives you the power, even the motivation to love as you're supposed to love. The gospel is the purpose and the picture and the power for a healthy marriage. As men lead to, excuse me, learn to selflessly love their wives, and wives learn to have an inclination, have a, a heart posture that says, I'm going I'm to affirm, and I'm going to receive your leadership. This morning, as we respond, and we have a really cool opportunity, this morning we're actually taking the Lord's Supper. And so as we think about the gospel being like the bedrock for a healthy, Christ-centered marriage, now what better way to, to end that than to say, hey, we're going to just celebrate and reflect on the gospel, that Jesus gave his life for us so we could have life, that he shed his blood so his blood could be coursing through our veins, so to speak, that we now have his love, his life, his perspective. So we're going to celebrate that. But there could be some of you this morning that don't know Christ. And as we do the Lord's Supper, we're going to ask that you wouldn't partake of it. Not because we're trying to be exclusive, but this is for believers, for followers of Christ. And if you don't know Christ, Richard, our high school pastor, was up here earlier. He's going to be in the back at the Welcome Center, and he would love to talk to you about what it means to know Christ, to commit your life to him, to turn from your sin, and turn to Christ. But here in a moment, as we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to walk us through it, but maybe this is just an opportunity, husbands and wives, to think through, man, how can I, how can I lead better? How can I love better? How can I encourage and affirm my husband better. And as you do that, to remember that Christ gave himself for us. And man, 
His Spirit, if you're a believer, lives inside of you and gives you the power to have a transformed life, a transformed marriage as you seek to be more like Him. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, I'm going to enter into the time of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, thank you so much just um, for uh, your love for us. And God, I do pray for marriages, that you would help us <laughs> to have healthy marriages, to help us to bring the right ingredients. God, I pray that you would encourage husbands to lead well, to love well. And God, I encourage wives to, to encourage that and to affirm that. Lord, I pray that as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, Lord, that we would be just encouraged as we remember and celebrate your broken body and shed blood for us. It's your name we pray, amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.